Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I am David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards Auto and host of the podcast. Well, hopefully you are along with us on this journey that began last June and where we are exploring the transition from an ice-focused auto industry to one that is centered around electrification with all its trials, pain, tribulations, and debates. We will continue with that theme right up to Informatech Electrification Conference that will be held October 17th and 18th of this year at the Fort Pontchartrain, a Wyndham Hotel in Detroit, Michigan. You can uh, find out more about that conference, and we hope you'll join us there uh, by going to wardsauto.com. In case you didn't know, Informa, a London-based company, is our parent company, and they own a lot of other media sites as well. After that event, the podcast will pivot to a series on ADAS and autonomous driving that I'm preparing now. Now, in this episode, I want to give you some news and information concerning the transition to EVs, and then we'll be sharing my talk with Marcus McCammon, who assumed the post of CEO at Karma Automotive last April. Marcus, pretty interesting executive, and Karma is an interesting brand that is going through a bit of a reset under his leadership. But before we get into that, I want to share a few things that have landed on my desk that I find pretty interesting. According to a new study by global consultancy EY, otherwise known as Ernst & Young, 48% of the consumers this year who responded to their survey are poised to buy an EV in the next two years. Now, I think that's pretty amazing and significant given the truckloads of bad publicity around EVs specifically about the lack of a uh, extensive enough and reliable charging network, especially superchargers. Now, I also found it fascinating that in the same study, 57% said they are very concerned about fires stemming from home charging. Now, I looked at this. Is this an overreaction? 20 EVs and hybrid fires occurred in 2020. 24 occurred in 2021, and 23 fires in 2022. What's interesting and worth thinking about to understand consumer apprehension is will the fires increase as sales of EVs increase proportionally, or will the early fires compel automakers and battery makers to take some steps to prevent the fires from happening in the first place? Now, lithium-ion batteries are tricky things sometimes, and they may suffer what's known as thermal runaway and cell rupture if they're overheated or overcharged. And in extreme cases, this can lead to combustion or fire. One of the things that I've become aware of is that quality control of battery cells is still pretty, hmm, shall we say, primitive? I've talked to some uh, startup companies and suppliers about this issue, and we'll probably do a whole episode or at least a half an episode on that topic. The number of fires that have occurred and will occur is certainly worth tracking closely and investigating when they do happen to inform the engineers, right? And hey, let's face it, any breakthrough or discovery that makes EV batteries safer and more stable should be shared with everyone. I would hate to see some really important breakthrough innovation, uh, you know, have intellectual property fences around it 
let's hope it plays out that way. So about our guest today, Karma Automotive CEO, Marcus McCammon. To catch some of the younger listeners up, Karma and the current vehicle it sells, the GS6, is based on the car that was designed back in 2007 by Henrik Fisker, who was head of a company called Fisker Automotive then, and this car was called the Karma. Now, Fisker's earlier company did not last very long. Because when its battery supplier, A123, filed for bankruptcy after some major recalls, Fisker did the same. And out of those bankruptcy ashes, the assets of both A123 and Fisker were bought by Chinese parts and components producer Wang Chung Group. Now, those assets included the designs, a plug-in hybrid powertrain, and a Wilmington, Delaware assembly plant. Now, the sale to Wang Chung included or excluded, I should say, the Fisker brand, which Henrik Fisker has transferred to his new company. And uh, that all happened, the bankruptcy all happened in 2014. Flash ahead almost a decade. And Karma this November is going to show a new product plan that will include, I know, a supercar. And I plan to be in Las Vegas when they do that and show off the new sheet metal. Now, McCammon's job at Karma to run a strategy whereby the company, which has sold about a thousand cars so far, reaches a threshold of between five and ten thousand cars a year, putting it roughly in the same global sales volume class as, say, Aston Martin. Now, when we come back, I'll be joined by Marcus McCammon, CEO of Karma Automotive. The Wards Auto Podcast is brought to you by Wards Intelligence. Ward's Intelligence provides trusted data, expert insight, and reliable forecasts into the automotive and auto tech industries. Renowned for their extensive, current, and historical data sets, pragmatic perspective, and industry-embedded analysts, it's easy to see why over 90% of their subscribers renew each year. To learn more about their market-leading automotive intelligence capabilities, head over to wardsintelligence.informa.com. Great. So I'm here with uh, Marcus McCammon, who is president of uh, Karma Automotive. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Appreciate you having having some time for me. Yeah, great. So um, I will tell the audience we're we're up here in Traverse City. You have come to give an address, you know, remarks, presentation to the attendees of uh, of the Center for Auto Research MBS seminars. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you're what you're talking about. I assume that you're updating people about Karma Automotive, yes. kind of where you are and where you think you're headed. Yeah. So this go round, it'll be a lot less about our our product roadmap and product plan. Um, the, the the car organization asked me if I could talk about from the perspective of a, a president and chief executive, what are the things that keep you up at night, right? So we're in a move towards electrification at scale, and you know, there are a lot of challenges. There's a, a different set of challenges when you have a, a, a new startup company in that space. So they asked me, what, what are the things that uh, really worry you? So what I'm going to talk about is what I could say, thoughtful days and sleepless nights uh, <laughs> and on our journey to electrification. Great. So um, talk, if you can share with us what, because uh, this won't run until after your presentation, so no spoilers, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, 
what what does keep you up at night? Well, the main things that keep me up at night is really understanding how do we create a balance between the conventional automotive industry capabilities and the new tech fast to fail kind of mentality, right? So if you think about where we are right now, we, we have been living in this space of convergence between conventional auto coming uh, to some degree in into into straight collision with tech. Okay, the tech guys come in, you know, everyone talks about Tesla and, you know, some, if you, I'm from the West Coast, right? So some of the folks from the West Coast have, paint Tesla like some kind of panacea. And, but here inside of the auto industry, you, in Detroit, you've got folks who've been around an industry that's a century old, that has learned a lot, built progressively over time, and has a pretty well set formula for how to make the fundamentals of the industry work. Mm-hmm. So those things are changing as we move in towards electrification. The supply chain is different. The value proposition is different. What defines the, the unique differentiation of value? A, a value in a car is different. It used to be, um, it was my motor. How big is my motor? How many cylinders? What is the transmission? The, the, the sound of the exhaust note, the shift point. Now, with an electric vehicle, I mean, the motor is pretty simple. The gearbox is relatively simple. I mean, we've got a lot of technology in it to make it run at much higher RPMs, but in terms of complexity, number of parts in the system, it's a lot less. Yeah. So software is a much bigger player. So how do we take an industry that's really built around nuts and bolts and transition it to understand how to leverage software, but not go so far that we lose the identity of the automobile? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you all the way. We're actually, Ward's is going to turn 100 next year, too. So it's not, it's not just the, uh, the car companies. Um, so I want to back up a little bit uh, for the benefit of our audience um, and talk a little bit about uh, Karma's recent history. Just to recap it, yeah. uh, Karma was in business with Fisker about 10 years ago. And uh, that partnership, that arrangement came came unglued. You can stop me if I miss anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, but, I'll give you the quick but summary. There was, there was a bankruptcy, mm-hmm. um, and your parent company – uh, Wen Chung Group mm-hmm. uh, out of China bought both the um, they bought the the uh, assets of the That's company. Right. That's right. So now back then it was called Fisker Karma. So now we just have Karma Automotive. Henrik is off doing his own thing, That's right. and the company also bought the assets of A One Two Three, the battery company. That's right. Now Wen uh, Chun, for those who don't know is a global uh, components company. Yes. They sell parts and components to a lot of the major automakers. That's right, and um, have for years. And have for years, so That's very right. well established. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, the, in terms of having a passenger car uh, that is owned by uh, China, uh, pe- people sort of like to have uh, been positing, you know, when, when's it going to happen, when's it going to happen? Well. We're already there with with Geely and Volvo mm-hmm. for for sure, and mm-hmm. and uh, and also we're here with Karma. That's I right. mean, so on a small volume scale, right. relative. Although Volvo, obviously, more more uh, more established. But talk to us about the product that is on sale now. Yes. Um, how you're distributing it, because yep. that's a little uh, vague to me. Yeah. Uh, based on what I've been reading. And uh, kind of where your sales are. Where's the business at right now? Yeah, not a problem. So, um, so like you said, Karma, so Fisker Automotive, uh, Fisker uh, created, uh, Heinrich Fisker created yeah. Fisker Incorporated. Yeah. The company went bankrupt. 
Wanchang, Wanchang Group bought the assets out of bankruptcy about 10 years ago uh, and then renamed the company as Karma. And then what we did was we took the original Fisker Karma, rebranded the vehicle as the Rivero, and then redesigned the car from end to end. They were, the original vehicle had a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, since that, that car has been redesigned. So it's a range-extended um, electric vehicle or E-Rev um, uh, electric vehicle. So primary electric mover uh, with a gas generator. That, um, but from where it started to where it is today, the original concept was largely based on G- a GM parts bin. The vehicle that we sell today is a is a really a global supply chain, much like any other company. So we have uh, drivetrain components that come from the likes of Hyundai Mobis and and uh, and ZF. The the gen, gen set that's in the car comes from BMW. I mean, so it's a really um, really representative of kind of any other part in the industry. And that's the Karma GS6. That's the GS6. Yeah. So okay. and so so that is the vehicle that's on sale now. Uh, later this year. I'm going to unveil the future roadmap of Karma, and I can, uh, spoiler alert, there will be more than two vehicles <laughs> in the portfolio uh, by the time we get to the end of the year. So people will be able to see how we've expanded the, the, the lineup and trying to really figure out how we connect with um, luxury buyers in, in EV who have different needs and expectations. Mm-hmm. So we'll continue to have a, the, the range extended, the hybrid version. We will have pure EVs, and then we're going to have some that take a little bit more of a bent towards performance. I'm not going to go too far. Okay. And then what about um, what about an SUV? I've sort of uh, seen stuff on the internet about a GX1. Yeah, so th- there was a there was a, a concept um, a couple of years ago that predates me uh, to do an SUV. Uh, I'll tell I'll pretty much say that that's not really where we're focused right now. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of opportunity in crossover and SUV space. Uh, we will spend some time evaluating that and, and maybe look at what the potential is in the future, but that's not where we are now. Okay. So you, you did ask me about how we distribute them. We have mm-hmm. 25 dealers across the U.S., mm-hmm. and then we have a number of dealers in Canada. Um, we have dealers in South America, in uh, in UAE, as well as in Europe. Mm-hmm. So we use conventional dealers, but we also have company-owned stores in Michigan. Uh, I'm sorry, in Southern California. So the car that you have on sale today, that's about. It starts at about eighty-six thousand dollars, right? No, no. The car sorry, we have on sale today starts at one hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. That's a big difference. That is a very big difference. <laughs> that is a very big difference. So um, prior. Prior times in Karma's history, uh-huh. I think the company kind of struggled with identity, if I'm, if I'm honest, right? So Karma entered the market at the top end. And I think the, the momentum of Tesla in the time made everyone think that they had to drive down market, go make a, a Model 3 or go make a, a you know, Lucid Air, mm-hmm. what have you. The reality is that's not who we are as a business. We really are going to focus on living at the upper end of the market driving an identity that is uniquely American, mm-hmm. but really making the aspiration for the EV space, not necessarily trying to make the volume, the volume play for the space. Okay, so the, something you just said begs a quick question, which is uh, uniquely American. Mm-hmm. You're owned by a Chinese company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now, I, that said, I will say that I think Xili has done a, a pretty admirable job 
of maintaining while evolving forward mm-hmm. the, uh, that's probably redundant, evolving forward, but <laughs> evolving the Volvo brand into modernity, yes. uh, but while keeping its Swedish unique right. brand attributes. Yes. So, but Karma has, um, obviously it's a, it's a much less, there's much less history. Volvo, Gili is at least working with decades and decades of history right. with That's Volvo. Right. There's, a, there's, a, there's an idea in our heads of what a Volvo is. I, right. I don't think that there's much of, a, of, a, uh, of, of an idea in a lot of people's heads about what a Karma right. is, right? That's right. So, so when you say uniquely American and it's owned by a Chinese company... <laughs> I, I have a speed bump that yeah, I have to get good, over. So good. help me out here. I, I, wanted, I wanted to get to that speed bump. So, so here's the reality. While we have a Chinese investor, they don't actually interact in the, in the operations of the business. Hmm. They don't drive the engineering in the business. They don't drive the technology. They don't do anything with the manufacturing. So all of the technology in Karma is in the U.S. My entire engineering team is in Southern California. We have a couple here in Michigan, but it's all here in the States. Okay. My assembly is all, is all in Southern California. So now, do we have Chinese supply? Yeah, but no more, no more or less than any other automaker right. Right, at any scale. Okay, so I, like I said, I've got suppliers in Korea, China, Japan, US, mm-hmm. you know, Germany. So everything that we're doing in terms of product and our brand, brand position, originates in the four walls of my headquarters building in Irvine, California. Okay. So in that way, we are very much American. We just have a, a Chinese investor who believes in the vision and the potential of what Karma can do for uh, as a halo for their company, but also for the world. Mm-hmm. So the founder, the guy who, who initiated the, the purchase of, the, of Karma or the founding of Karma, um, uh, Chairman Liu, is the only Chinese ever inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. Like I said, he was selling automotive parts here to all the major automakers for 27 years in the U.S. Very, very well-recognized leader. Um, and at one point was the largest chi- uh, uh, Chinese auto parts supplier, period. Okay, so very, very well-established guy. He bought Karma because he said, I've made parts, I've made great money, I've made a great industry. I want to leave an impact that's going to make things better for the world. And I want to show people that doing good can also look good and feel good emotionally. So that is my charge to create. And the only thing I do is report to the guys how much money I'm making or not making. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to that point, talk to us a little bit about um, what your sales volumes are, mm-hmm. uh, what your production levels are now. And it, without stealing your thunder for something you're going to do later this year, Give us an idea of where you think the company can be five years from now. Yeah, excellent. So I think, so we've sold, we've got a thousand-ish vehicles in the market thus far, okay? Now, that has been a really slow trickle over the, over the 10 years that we've been in existence. So anywhere between 100 and 300 vehicles a year. Now, to some degree, we want to be exclusive, okay? We want the cars to be aspirational, and we want them to be unique in the market. We want to play towards the upper end. So if you think about luxury in America, the most premier brand in the US right now for luxury is Cadillac, okay? There's not another auto make in North America that originates in North America that plays 
much above them. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll I'll go along with that one. All okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we have a lot of niche players. Yeah. Right. But but what we want to do is establish uh, a a legacy. Like you said, Volvo has a long history. We know what to expect from Volvo. Yeah. You also know what to expect from Aston. You also know what to expect from. Uh, Ferrari, right? I mean, that's really, really yeah. out there. But, but we think that there's an opportunity for America to, to have an identity that's somewhat similar to that, okay? Which means that for me, I see a future of where we're a five, 10,000 unit volume company. Mm-hmm. I don't really need to go much further than that. Yeah. And, and to get to those kinds of volumes, you don't think that you'll need to play uh, at a price point less than 100 grand? No. So if you think about the buyer dim- demographic that's been happening at the upper end of the market over the past 10 years, each one of the conventional exotics, and most of those guys come from Europe, each one of those guys has seen their volumes increase by about 15% on a compound annual growth rate basis. So you have record sales at every one of the ultra luxury premium brands. And it's just because of the, the how the economic uh, dispersion of wealth has been happening across the globe. So more people are buying ultra luxury goods and, and they're looking for those opportunities to be exclusive. Mm-hmm. We think that we can give them something new in that space mm-hmm. and, and really carve out a, sp- uh, a spot that we can own long term. Okay. So uh, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, in terms of evaluating product, you seemed a little, a little tepid about the idea of a crossover SUV. Um, at least for now, it sounds like something that, you know, might could possibly come later. Why is that? Because I know more about the mass market than I do about the mm-hmm. exclusive high end market. But I do know that um, those brands up there, uh, you know, most of them have something in the way of a yes. crossover because that's what that's a package and a utility that that people are looking for. So so uh, why? Why sort of put that back burner? Oh, that's a great question. So I think I don't. I wouldn't say back burner. I'm looking at every vehicle form factor with equal weighting. But you you really hit on an important point when you said everyone knows what Volvo is. Mm-hmm. Until everyone knows what Karma is, it's difficult for me to start going into kind of what what I call white space variants, right? So if you think about back when we first started introducing the term CUV and MPV, what it was is I'm going to take a passenger car and I'm going to mix it with with an SUV. I'm going to take an SUV and I'm going to mix it with a sedan. And we started creating these white space variants that give you the best of both worlds. Well, until you know what the first world is of karma, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to give you the other. Mm -hmm. So I want to reset so that everyone has a clear expectation. Karma is going to go in that direction. That's what they're going to build. This is what you should expect from them. Once I do that, then doing combinations and mm-hmm. variants from there will be logical. And you will have a predis- predisposition of what it will look like. If I told you that Ferrari is going to do a Purasang, right, and they're going to, so they're going to do a, an a crossover vehicle, you already have an expectation of what it should look like and feel like in order for it to wear the prancing horse, mm-hmm. right? Same thing when Porsche released the Cayman, I mean the Cayenne. Okay, you you said all right. Oh goodness, Porsche is going to do an SUV, but it better do these things if it's going to genuinely be a Porsche. And they delivered on that. Right. So we have to make it very clear to the world who we are before we start going into variation. So talk about as you bring these products to market, where you feel the expectations or demands are for Karma in the area of 
autonomous driving and connected car. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in some ways, I feel like the further up you get um, in price range, and I I could be dead wrong about this, but you're maybe dealing with a a customer that probably has more than one vehicle. Oh, yes. Right? (laughs) Oh, yes. And and so they might not want all that stuff on... On a sports car, on an electric sports car, they might want it more basic and have the money be in the materials and the experience of driving. Mm-hmm. So, to talk, talk about your your thoughts on that topic. I think you nailed it. I mean, so I think the reality is that um, as we're going into this space of connected and autonomous vehicles, there's a certain element of the industry that's getting inundated with the tech, and not how we use the tech, but the tech for the sake of the tech. Okay, so we're just putting more apps and more widgets and bigger screens. And, and the novelty of having those things present is becoming more important than the car itself. And I remember and, uh, in, in my presentation, I talk about this. There was a time when I, I remember sitting, I was at the, um, uh, down at the mall, a Somerset collection, standing with Bob Lutz. And he talked about this notion that, you know, that if, you, if you're not careful... You, you have turn. to do wait. You have to do your Bob Lutz impression <laughs> if you're going to quote him. Yeah, you have to talk, like, talk yeah. like this. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, you know those product planners. All they do want to do is look at data. No, but but Bob said he he said if you're not careful, you're going to turn the car into an appliance, yeah. and you know it's just a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. He said the car has to have gut. It has to have passion, and and I think our role, my role with Karma is to connect technology in a way that's relevant for you to f- still fall in love with a car, not the app that's running in the car. Mm. So when I, it, it's funny, in Southern California, every third car is a Tesla, right? And there's so much I can say to that, right? But the other one, the other one is a BMW. Um, but you get to a point where there's a sameness about it and, and the identity and the persona that, that you and I cre- convey when we get into the car that we picked for ourselves starts to get washed away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then people start bragging about the novelty. I can play video games in my car. Or I can you know, make the lights and the mirrors flash up and down. That's all well and good. But I think that there's still a significant portion of the population that equates driving with freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unique about American culture. I think it's unique about the, the, what has made our industry str- so strong over the, the, the hundred years that it's been here. And I think that we have an ability to move in the direction of connected and semi-autonomous. I don't, I don't think we necessarily need to be fully autonomous in our, in our space. Um, semi-autonomous, very tech, technologically capable vehicles, but really the technology is here to wrap its arms around David and make David enjoy driving again. Yeah, I'm, I kind of get you, which is why I asked the question. I, I think if you're buying a car for between 50 and 100 grand, let's mm-hmm. say, you, you, and, and it's a crossover, yep. or it's your daily driver, yep. or maybe it's your second car, you, and you are what the marketing people refer to as lovers of the new yes. when it comes to technology, yes. that you want, especially if you're in California, you, know, you, want, you want to be able to take your hands off the wheel to do the mm-hmm. stop and go commute on mm-hmm. your hideous highways out yep. there and, um, uh, you know, and things like that. But if you're buying a car that's 150 grand and you've really bought it for the styling because you, 
you admire the, the way it looks, you like the way you look and feel in it, and you want to drive it, <laughs> then, then the last thing you probably want is f- to not have to drive it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's why you hire chauffeurs. <laughs> well, you know, it's a balance. So, so I drive a car every day, okay? Mm-hmm. My commute is about 50 minutes. I use, we have level two driving capability, right? So I can take my hands off the wheel and the car will track in lane when I'm going through traffic. And, and I use it almost every day, okay? Because I take meetings and calls and so on and so forth. But, oh, when it comes time for me to get on the freeway and off the freeway, or sometimes I'll take a road that's a little bit off course to get to work, I'm completely engaged with it and I'm enjoying it and I'm driving it. And, and the, the car's about me. It's not about the widget or the gadget. So I think, so I think that the, the ability of the software-defined car and the software-defined EV in particular is really relevant for our brand in our ability to, to gestate technology more rapidly mm-hmm. and gestate experiences for you, for you more rapidly. I want you to have a better degree of control of the car. I want to understand how you drive it. Are you a guy who likes hard cornering? You go in heavy, and you you're you know you're not gonna not gonna touch the brake. You're, you're gonna throttle through, and then I want the car to adjust to you and fit the way you like to drive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a, another way to use software and information and connectivity, but really drive it back to the fundamentals of what makes a car great. Mm-hmm. The the flip side of that is, as you're walking up to the car. I don't know if you're married, but you know my wife steals the keys to whatever I'm driving. I want her to walk up, and I want the car to know that it's her before she gets there. Mm-hmm. And I want it to sense her, not have her go through 15 machinations when she gets in. She doesn't. We and I, she and I, listen, listen to different radio stations. We hold our seats in different positions. She likes the temperature, either extremely hot or extremely cold. I want it to fit to her, not when she gets in and pushes a button or touches the key, but I want it to know that it's her when she mm-hmm. comes up. And I wanted to know where she's got to go before she gets there so we make her life more efficient. That co- connects to the joy of driving yeah. and really focuses the tech. It, it just Hearing you describe what you're emphasizing tells me that you have probably have a very good handle on what your customers want and expect yeah. uh, in, in this car. And does that come from qualitative research that you've done with customers and would-be customers, or how are you getting to that point? Well, so one of the things that's really great, so we, we have done qualitative research inside of the company for sure. But one of the things that's really great is all of our cars are connected and have been for the whole decade that we've been selling them. So literally, I know how many times you, you touch the key fob on your car. Mm-hmm. So if you touch the key fob and it doesn't unlock the first time, I know at the office that, that it does. Now, we don't we don't look into that data in an invasive manner because I know that that's where the big brother. I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want you to know everything well, I'm doing in my car. But think, but think, think about it this way. Think about it this way. Some people have to go to quantitative research and you sit, sit the car up and you, you create all the touch points that you want the customer to do. You go through all that research, you abstract it, you anonymize it, and then you, you hand it to the automaker. We do the same thing, but without the artificial environment. So I can't see who the customer is. I can't see the location of it. But my team, it goes into a database, it gets anonymized, it gets aggregated, and from that data, I can say, here is how my car gets used. There is nobody who takes my car at full wheel lock and goes full throttle and runs into a curve. It's never (laughs) happened, okay? But I do have people who, 
you know, um, toggle the key fob 50 times because they're not sure whether to unlock one door or, or, or four, <laughs> right? So, so those things we can see in data and I can, and it comes because I say, guys, I, I want to try a use case. Can you query whether or not this use case exists in the car? Mm-hmm. And they query it and they come back to us as the data says we, it either happens or it doesn't. And that, that is what the, the real power of EV in a software defined car is. Every automaker has done predictive testing, validation, and we guess the way that the customer is using the car based on the surveys, based on warranty data, based on you know, failures that come back from the field. We, over the years, we have guessed. They're smart guesses. They're calibrated guesses. Mm. But we've designed entire proving grounds around those guess, guesses. I don't have to guess anymore. Yeah. The data is there. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that is what is is the goal that we want to unpack. And then beyond that, we just talk to our customers. Mm-hmm. So we pick up the phone and we call them. We know our customers by name. What is it that they like? What is it that they don't like? We bring them in. We have sessions for them. As a matter of fact, we have one that's coming up in in, in about a month's time. And and you know it can be a complete you know festival of complaints or it's a complete you know yeah. love festival. Mm-hmm. It, but either way, it's learning. So, and uh, last question before I wrap up. Uh, what about um, just old-fashioned quality, like your build quality? Like, what are you, um, you, you know, where, where does that sit? I don't think you're doing enough volume for, like, J.D. Power to measure it, but, you know, but you, you know based on customer oh, yeah. feedback. Oh, yeah. So our quality right now honestly needs some improvement, okay? So I came into the company in March, March 20th, um, and took full seat in April. Um, and look, I've been in the industry my whole career. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things that I saw when I walked in the door and I said, nope, we're going to change that. We're going to fix that. As, as a matter of fact, I just hired a guy uh, by the name of Ryan Blanchett. He started off here at Ford Motor Company. He worked at TRW before they were ZF. He's got a long history in lean process and quality management. And I brought him in for that reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, there is a way to deliver high quality, even in low volumes, Quality has to be there because if I give you the great technology, if I give you the great driving experience, if I give you all of this connecting with you as a person, but the moment that you want to use it, it falls apart, then I've just broken that relationship. I've broken the trust. So that is fundamental to how we do things. And again, I want to make the data work for us. Yeah. I just want to get back, roll back to, to one thing, and that is that so the, the skateboard, the platform that mm-hmm. you're going to put these uh, vehicles on, that's developed by Karma. Completely. But completely, okay. And uh, one of the things I saw, which is, I guess, a way of, of making your numbers you know, even better, is that you, you, you have a deal um, in, your, in, your, uh, in your facility uh, where you're, you're building uh, commercial vehicles, right? Is that with, with Beyond? Yeah, so we have, a, we have a strategic partnership with Beyond. Uh, to do um, build of commercial vehicles for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it, you actually, we should actually back up the conversation a mm-hmm. little bit more. So I have a half a million square feet of a assemb- flexible assembly facility mm-hmm. that's designed for low volume and niche manufacturing. So the idea that I, you know, me new coming into the place, that I look at it as there has been a lot of really great case studies on flexible manufacturing across the auto industry, right? Everything from the smart car to the Chevy SSR to the, um, the way the Corvettes are built, the way the Viper was built, of how you reconfigure plants in real time to meet different volume expectations. I look at our 
our facility in that vein. Hmm. So as customer demand goes, I want to build to my customer's demand, and I want the cars to be as bespoke to the customer as possible. When when the when I want to slow down and take time to give customer exactly what he wants, I still want to make sure I'm absorbing the overhead in my facility and keeping a level of efficiency and productivity with the workforce, so that I can build commercial vehicles, I can build specialty variants of our cars. So the the idea for me is that that enterprise is about how do you build low volume, high quality, next generation vehicles as efficiently as possible. Okay, and the you know whether it's Beyond or another version of Karma or something from a, from another niche OEM, to me it's irrelevant. And are those Beyond um, vehicles? Are they built on your platform? Or on your no. no, they're not. They're no. so so. You're just really providing a line. I'm for providing them. a flexible assembly. I'm yeah. I'm providing them expertise in how to do manufacturing at low volume with high quality. So they brought in their platform. It's and their platform. It's their platform. It, and it's actually else. in a in a in a whole line is isolated from my 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 production line. Mm -hmm. Our line is dedicated to our vehicles and the variants that will come thereof. Okay. Listen, Marcus, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your ideas and giving us an update. Thank you, Brad. And uh, we look forward at Wards to, uh, to evaluating uh, your vehicles for our 10 best interiors or our yeah. 10 best uh, propulsion systems. All right. One or the other. So. I'll, take, I'll take all of the above. <laughs> so I'm hoping to see you guys later on this year. So look, Great. look for us come November. I got a lot of stuff to show you. Okay, very good. Thanks again. The Wards Auto Podcast is brought to you in part by Wards Events. Wards Auto is proud to bring you a series of Autotech events throughout the year and throughout the world. Autotech Detroit 2023 was held in Novi, Michigan this June, where more than 2,500 industry peers and innovators came together, shared content and insights about electrification, connected car, autonomous driving, and more. And it's where Wards Auto and parent company Informa presented the 10 Best Interiors and UX Awards, as well as the Informa Tech Awards. Check out the agenda for Autotech Europe this November to be held in Germany and Autotech Electrification to be held in Michigan this October. At Wards, we're all about the future and guiding our readers and listeners to what's next. Go to wardsauto.informa.com. Thank you so much to Marcus for joining me, and thank you for listening. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards Auto. Our Chief Engineer is Graham Mitchell. Now, remember, you can subscribe to the Wards Auto Podcast from any of your favorite podcast platforms or when you see the story we run on the Wards Auto homepage or in our daily newsletter. When you see the story, click in and read the summary, and you can click on the Wards Auto podcast graphic where it says listen now and you will be instantly transported to the podcast and when the play button comes up just hit play and you can play it right off the site or your phone again I'm David Kiley senior editor at Wards Auto until next time